We want to welcome our uh, people again online. Thank you for wherever you're at, <clears throat> scattered all over the place. And those of you who are visiting with us, would you just slip your hand up, please? I see you. Thank you so much. We've met each other before. Yes, we have. You're not, we're not strangers. But thank you for coming. And I think we have a young man over here with a broken wrist, I think. Or was broken, but it's healed. When you walk out of here, it's healed. Welcome. Tell us your name, young guy. Maverick. Uh-oh. That sounds like there's destiny right there. That was a Western man. Yeah, it was. I, like, I still watch old Westerns. How many of you watch old Westerns? That's how I, I just, I just uh, chill out that way. It's a good entertainment. Let's just pray a moment. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your strengthening, your covering, Father, for your clear word. We thank you, Father, that when we are weak, you are strong, and that, Lord, as we decrease, you increase. We ask you, Father, to just deposit that which you will this morning that we can take with us, and that, Father, that not only can we use to minister unto ourselves, but to be those whom you have called us to be in this time and in this era. We thank you, Lord, for the word of the Lord that stands true and never changing. And so, Father, we seek those absolute truths this day, and we bless you in it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for uh, your prayers. I apologize I wasn't able to be here last Sunday. It wasn't scheduled. Uh, come, it was about a week ago, Friday afternoon. Uh, I got hit pretty strong. And I'm not <clears throat> typically down like that. And uh, pretty much uh, was bedridden for several days. And uh, <clears throat> no doubt, uh, we know where those things come from. And the uh, diagnosis was never really clear. So I'm not worried about that. I do know I'm non-infectious and uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I am mending. I'm, I'm going to confess to you I'm a little weak. I'm a little dizzy. Um, but I was not going to be held back from this Sunday. Um, we can only yield so much, and then we just have to determine to go on. So thank you for tolerating me. Thank you for your prayers. We've been on a journey on a series, uh, Walk the Talk on the Wild Side of New Creation Living, and it's taken us to several different topics. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we started on truth. And uh, we determined that truth is not a concept, it's a person. Concepts are subject. Jesus is the person. He's the truth. And uh, he's the way, the truth, and the life, is he not? And now we've expanded that into the fact that uh, it is not truth if it changes. And we we're we're, are looking for discovery of eternal truths, of absolute truths, truths that we can stand upon and know no matter what comes our way that we are those that are going to be able to not only sustain what is thrown against us, but to overcome. We are a generation of overcomers. I don't think I have to impress you enough of the perilous times that we live in. And these were the times that were prophesied of in Scripture. And not only were they prophesied to us, but we were told specifically what to be expecting, and we'll be reviewing some of that. I don't think it's debatable for those who have an ear unto the Lord and have a heart unto God, and to be able to discern the times and understand that if these aren't those dark times, then we certainly are on the very fringe of those dark times. Um, it's hard to imagine how much darker things can get, and then they get darker. If you were in different parts of the world waking up this morning, you would believe that your world was about to end. Um, there are consequences for uh, living in darkness, and those consequences of living in darkness typically always manifest in social, political and economic chaos. We see that now in different parts of the world, once again occurring, raising its ugly head up. We do pray uh, for innocent people in Afghanistan, but more so we pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ would enlighten that darkened place. 
Uh, we do pray for the people of Haiti, uh, hit again with a, another earthquake. Our ministry in the early days of the 2010 uh, earthquake, we were there for almost a year. And uh, right from after the earthquake until they began to charge taxes again for bringing things in and basically shut down uh, charitable ministries. Uh, we've been in the place of Les Caius and that where this uh, earthquake hit on the western side and into those people. In fact, we ministered in a mountain in between uh, Port-au-Prince and there called Voodoo Mountain. And uh, that was a place that no people could get to. And there were 400 uh, Christian families isolated up on that mountain. Uh, and by the grace of God, we were able to get up there with a truck and to bring them food and rations and that for the very first time. Uh, it was called Voodoo Mountain because the pastor's father and mother were chief voodoo priests in Haiti. And they uh, were sacrificing cows and animals uh, in their voodoo uh, religion on that mountain, the blood pouring out upon that mountain. And the voodoo priests and those that would come would come there specifically for that worship. So it was a idol-stained, blood-stained mountain. And as he was dying, he had a son and a daughter. And uh, the mountain was left to them. But they couldn't have been farther apart between light and dark. The son had found the Lord and was a pastor now, and the daughter was a voodoo priestess. And uh, they obviously were wrangling over the mountain and who was going to get possession of the mountain. And he took a position in the mountain and began to worship and praise there and to pull down those idols and demons. And she took a position uh, in the mountain and raised up the demonic praise and uh, they basically had an okay corral moment. She declared that on a given Sunday that there was going to be a massive uh, sacrifice on the mountain and that they were going to call down their voodoo powers and destroy him and destroy the Christians that were there. And he went to pray with her and she wouldn't pray with him. But God intervened and on the Friday before that Sunday he struck her down and made her dumb and mute and uh, she actually had a stroke as well. And uh, he went to pray for her to save her life. And, uh, and he did, but she would not repent. And the Lord ended up taking her life. And Voodoo Mountain was transformed into a mountain of praise unto the Lord. And, uh, and it's, it's quite a statement. So when I saw this, the, the, the news of the earthquake... In Haiti, I could see and envision that area. We've been there. Our feet have been there. Our tears have been there. Our work has been there. Uh, this ministry, Touch Heaven Ministry, uh, was the largest outreach ministry um, that was not funded by a denomination into Haiti for about eight or nine months out of South Florida. We literally represented Broward and Dade counties and a lot of eastern coast areas and bringing those foods and stuff into them, all by the grace of God. So my heart cries out for the people of Haiti, but Haiti made a pact. Haiti made a pact with the devil in order to become delivered from the French, and it's a known pact, and it's been, it's been, it's been institutionalized, it's memorialized. They made a covenant. And that covenant was that they would worship and be voodooists if they would be delivered from the French. They have never, ever annulled that pact. And even though you've had some Christians come and go, it's been a country that has attempted to be evangelized from one end to the other. And there are a lot of Christians there, but at the same hand, there's a lot who have one foot in the truth and another foot in the untruth. One that's working in darkness and one that's working in light. It's a very frustrating place to minister at because even the very people that you minister with, you catch them in deception at a given point. Why am I sharing this? Because there are consequences to untruth. And unfortunately, even as Laura Lee was mentioning to me, you know, Santa Domingo and Haiti are connected. They're one big island, but yet those curses don't hit Santa Domingo. And when you fly into Haiti, you will see as you come across the border, you can see it visibly. Everything is green 
on the Dominican side and everything is desolate in Haiti. You can't even find a twig to burn. They've burned up all their natural resources. When I first went there, I thought we're going to help them fish. We'll help them get fishing stuff. They've got the ocean all around them. And then I found out that there's no fish to be had on their shores. The fish are even cursed. There's a curse that comes in darkness. And there's a blessing that comes in light. And I only wish that we could be those who didn't just see light and dark. Or if you would, darker colors and lighter colors. But that we could see the gray lens. Because I think if we would, what we would see today is that the vast majority of those who say they are Christians, if there were to be a color, a hue over them, we would see gray. We would not see light. We would see that there was light trying to overcome the dark, but yet the untruths and the decisions to walk in darkness are hard to overcome. And that is what we need power of. We need to be enlightened with that. Just this last week, uh, Jim, who, has, who archives most of the things I've done for years, thank you, Jim, because I don't, um, he sent me something, and it was an open letter to the body of Christ that I wrote November 3rd in 2008 at 10 a.m. Um, I vaguely remember writing it. I know I was locked in my office under the Spirit of God, and I realized when I was doing so that it was more than for that moment. You might recall that was right before the 2008 election, and there was so much confusion and so many people were uh, just as has happened in the last couple elections, hasn't it? It's nothing new. We shouldn't be shocked by it. Um, and I just want to read a few of the things that I wrote in there, and then I want to read you something else. <clears throat> I said I, I started off, as we consider the choices for our nation, I have heard reports recently here in the United States of America of Christians walking out of churches when they are confronted by God-fearing pastors who have challenged their flocks to examine their hearts, specifically pertaining to abortion and family issues. Pastors who fear God have challenged their congregants to vote only their Bible conscience. Let there be no doubt that the biblical requirement of pastors as watchmen is to feed the sheep the pure word of God and to warn them of consequences should they be lured into compromise, especially when the delusion to do so is skillfully marketed by the mainstream media, popular politics, social pressures, and intellectual challenge. Mind you, that was written in 2008. And the biblical required of men and women of God is to not compromise their faith in any way whatsoever when decisions of what to do conflict as to the right to life, family values, or the first commandment to love the Lord thy God. God does not release any believer from the responsibility to live our faith as Christians because of circumstances, because of opportunity, and this includes how we vote our faith. The only colors that the Spirit of God differentiates is a soul stained dark by sin or washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Our God is an awesome God and He is to be feared. He is the ultimate radical force of change in the lives of men and women, nations and system. And he has made known to us the mystery of his will, which is to reconcile everything unto himself. This process for true, abundant, satisfying, eternal change is not governed by man, but is governed by the power of God. And this power is to cause change even from glory to glory. And then this it says, what we are witnessing even more so in these last days of this present world system here on earth and in our own country is a precursor to the pending eternal judgment awaiting believers as prophesied by Christ himself on his way to the cross. And this comes out of Matthew 25, verse 31 through 41. Matthew 25, verse 31 through 41. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and haul the holy angels with Him, then will He sit on the throne of His glory. And all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. 
and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left hand. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food, and I was thirsty, and you gave me drink, and I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This isn't a pleasant word to motivate congregates to go on about their day and have a prosperous week, is it? It sort of is something that is opposed to everything that we hear in our society right now. My challenge was, I said in that moment, that there's no more dependent and person on mercy and security of another person to live than the unborn child. There are consequences to nations and to people that curse God. Beloved, we're on the very fringe of those consequences in this country. Now, I know many of you like to hear the messages that are out there. There's the Great Awakening. There's the Great Revival. It's been, we've been hearing about it for a long time, and I'm a cheerleader. But, beloved, I've got another message to you. There's a great darkness covering the earth. And there's judgment about to be released upon the people of God and the pastors of God. That's not a popular message. It's one that's been put in my spirit to preach since I was saved in 1980. And yes, I believe there will still be souls saved to the very moment that the trumpet sounds and the Lord returns. But there's judgment. God is a God of judgment. And what makes us believe that we are those who are for some reason or another put aside from a judgment or from curses on earth for the sins that we do. Sins have consequences. Nations are judged to be sinful. Nations can repent, and nations can also ignore God. And so we sit in a nation in this country that even the pollsters tell us is 50-50 divided and maybe even more so, and now saying that some in this country are more inclined to want to see socialism than they are capitalism. I don't care about the economics of it. I care about what each one of those brings. Socialism always brings godlessness. Socialism always brings relying upon human power instead of God power. Socialism goes to a mob mentality. Let me tell you about a mob mentality. Crucify him. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Crucify him. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. That's what a mob mentality does. You see, because whenever truth is subjective, whenever truth is relevant to what the situation is, it then succumbs to a mob mentality. The truth of today isn't the truth of 10 years ago in this country. The truth of a hundred years ago isn't the truth of today in this country. And we have that mob mentality. And the mob mentality also always isolates the ones who are trying to stand on God's truth. The mob mentality will always point out the ones who say, but he's innocent. Is he innocent? But if you say he's guilty, and I say he's innocent, then it's subjective to which one of us. So I wash my hands of it. Do with them as you please, says Pilate. And the mob says, crucify him. Crucify him. There's a mob mentality that is being fed from the pits of darkness in this country today. 
And that mob mentality is taking truths and at very least changing them into half-truths. And in that sense, we see all of the fingerprints of the evil one all over it. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Let's look at John chapter 8, verse 44 a moment. Let's look into the character of what we're dealing with. Let's look in to the very heart of the father of lies. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Let me break this down for you a moment. You either have Father God or Father Devil. Hello? You either have Father God or Father Devil. Now, that's not a very polite message, is it? Because I know that there are others who preach from the pulpit who say, well, that's a little harsh. You know, there's many paths unto God. Many people believe in their God the way they believe in their God. And I can remember, thank God, you know, he... He sometimes puts me under a very strict rod. And I remember as I was blossoming and coming out in ministry just in the early days and was at first on Salem Radio, and I would get invited to things, and some of the things I got invited to were ecumenical, and they sounded so good. And one of them was even held at the Jewish Community Center, the place where I grew up playing as a child. And so I thought, wow, this is terrific. They showed the rabbi, the priest. I went to a Catholic high school. I was okay with priests. They showed the Episcopalian, and so I went. And I went as a Messianic Jew to the Jewish community center, and everybody got together in a circle after some stupid stuff was said by many. And they all wanted to hold hands and to pray to I don't know what, because... In there was a Muslim, and a Hindu, and a Buddhist, and God knows what else. It could have been, for all I know, uh, a witch. But everybody was kumbaya because there's, we must be tolerant of each other because there's many paths to faith and peace and getting along together. Those are all lies and untruths. And as I went to put my hands up, the Lord struck me backwards, yes, and my hands began to burn, and my Lord said, you will never pray to any God but me. I politely backed off and left. It was the last ecumenical situation I was ever in. These hands have never joined hands with anybody else praying as leadership of God, no matter where it was doesn't matter if it was in Washington, D.C., in the Jerusalem, wherever I was at, whenever ecumenical was calling, I backed off. You see, there's a truth. There's only one living God, and he's almighty God, and he's a jealous God. And he shall let us not worship any other, and no other God shall go before him. But there's another who calls himself God, and he's the God of this world. And so we need to understand that we don't live in an elective cycle. We don't live in, in an area where we have the right to choose whether somebody has the right to believe in a God a different way. We can permit them to do whatever they want, but we cannot accept it. We can tolerate it in the sense that that's their right and God would not have us to be those who physically want to, to, to challenge that. But publicly, I have to tell you, I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's only one God, and there's only one faith, and that's in Jesus Christ. And there's only one way unto truth, and that's through the Son. And there's only one Father, and He's God Almighty, and there's only one way unto Him, and that is through Yeshua HaMashiach, even Jesus the Christ, my Lord. And there's one Holy Spirit. There's not a different spirit. There's not a spirit of the cosmos or the universe or one that's, that's moved by any other way through meditations or incantations or any other machination of man or devil. 
There's only one way, and that's with a true heart before God. And so, beloved, you know, sometimes the Lord will put us flat down just to reassess who we are and what we're called to do. I know what I'm called to do, and it's to provoke. I began to provoke many years ago as this letter even gets tougher than the one I read you. 2008, I sent this out. And now I remember, I sent it to many pastors. I sent it to the television networks. I just sent it. Not knowing whether people would read it or not, but knowing the Lord had commanded me to do it so that God could say, I've warned people. Many people read about declaring gifts and offices of God, but very few stand in those offices no matter what. Many run about to build the business of the ministry, but it happens to be their business of the ministry, not the kingdom of God. I'll never forget when I first read those words in the Gospels that Jesus Christ said, what do you have to do with me? Why are you worried about me? 13-year-old boy, just doing his bar mitzvah. 13-year-old little Jewish boy who they leave in the temple they have, I don't know how you forget your 13-year-old son in the temple, but they did. And what does he say to them? Don't bother. I'm about my father's business. Beloved, our father's business isn't the business of the ministry. Our father's business isn't the business of a political party. And I want you to understand something. That when it says here that when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, do you know that that word translates many different ways? And one of the ways is he speaks from his native language. That means whenever lies come out of people, whenever there's untruths that are published, they come from a different language that isn't the language of God. There's only one other. It's the language of the devil. It's his native language. So no wonder that there's a confusion about what's truth and what's untruth. The characteristics of the devil, they, they, they're not hard to understand. The characteristics of this liar, this father of lies, is that he has a hierarchy. How many of you know he has a kingdom, a hierarchy? He has principalities and powers and demons. And they're assigned to do different things. And one of their assignments is assigned to the people of God to try and twist truth and to try and challenge us to twist truth. Because if we begin to twist, twist truth, we lose our potency with God. We have a tremendous understanding through Colossians of what happened. We understand that our Lord descended into the, the deepest pits of hell. The enemy celebrated, Satan celebrated at Golgotha with all of his powers and minions. He thought he had a great victory. He, he was too stupid to understand that he was celebrating his own defeat. And they celebrated it to the point that that soul that sinned, as, as, as Ezekiel said, the soul that sins must die. That soul had to descend into hell because that's where death goes. That's where sin goes. That's where you and I would go if he had not become our trespass offering. There's a consequence. Yet there are many who would try to tell you that his soul never died. Well, if his soul never died, then yours must. Because it means he didn't take on sin. He who knew no sin was made sin that you might be made the righteousness of God. He was made your sin. He was made my sin. And yet he says, I am the truth, the way, and the life. He's the truth. Because what he did, as we understand, is he took your debt. How many of you know that your guilt is the enemy's edict against you? How many of you know that? It's his edict against everybody who's unsaved. It's his edict against every unbeliever in the world is that they are guilty of sin against God. Against God. And because of that, they cannot have eternal life. 
And it's the same untruth he gave in, 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 in Genesis in the garden, captured in chapter 3. If you eat of this, you will be like God. If you do this half-truth and you do this other truth, you'll end up accomplishing what God wants because, by the way, you just have to get to where God wants you to be. It's not a matter of how you get there. Hmm. But God had a different plan. Jesus knew it. And in Golgotha, when he said it was finished, it had just begun. It had just begun. Who is he that ascended, but first he descended? He descended into that nether part. And you could imagine the parade, the mocking. The psalmist tells about it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Bulls of Basham are crouching over my face. If you could read through the vision of the word of the psalmist. They mock me. They scourge me. They torment me. Where are you, my God? This is the voice of Christ crying out from hell. Through the psalmist. And then in that moment. In that moment, that glorious moment when it was finished, <laughs> the devil, he ended up experiencing a huge defeat that is still ongoing. And here's how it happened. I want this emblazoned in your spirits and in your power. This is a foundation of our ministry, but more so than that, this is a foundation of faith. If you grasp this, if you hold on to this, if you know this, if you apply this into the principles of your life and your situations and your problems, you will always walk in resurrection power. You may have a little darkness at night, but joy comes in the morning. If you can just hold on to this and believe it. It's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to believe God. The devils believe in God. <laughs> they have no choice. But they don't believe God. Many Christians believe in God, but they don't believe God. And I dare say to you, many born-again Christians don't believe God. In fact, sometimes we wear that born-again badge as if it's a free pass. And we've hung everything else up and said, I don't need to work anymore. I can just grace on through to the finish line. A half-truth, a mistruth from the untruther, the devil himself, the father of lies. As we read, the goats on the left side, the sheep on the right side. The goats, these are believers. These aren't the heathen. These aren't those who said, I don't believe in God or reject Jesus Christ. These are those who said, I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. My God, could there be any worse words? I know there cannot be in all of eternity than depart from me into eternal hell. Those words to be spoken to Christians. Think about it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. It's wisdom. And whenever we become ignorant and, be, and quit fearing God, then we've lost our wisdom and we don't know truth anymore. The whole foundation of discerning truth, the whole foundation of discerning truth is to fear God. Because if we fear God in every decision we make, in every action we take, and whatever we do with ourselves, with our spouses, with our loved ones, with our children, if we fear God, God will take us on the path of truth. And if we do not fear God, we are on a half path of mistruth at the very best. So what happened in hell? The time was up. The time was up. Do you remember when Jesus said, this is why the Lord loves me, John 10? My father loves me because I have the power to lay down my life and I will take it back up again. Jesus 
has and had the power to lay down his life and to take it back up again. No man could take it from him. But there was an arrangement made, an eternal arrangement made. And that arrangement was that he would give up his divine glory, the supernatural being of who he was, of spirit only, and become God in the flesh. And to be contained in the flesh meant that he had to walk out of that uncontainable, abundant, never-ending image and process of who he was. And it was for a short, finite time. And we get a glimpse of the revelation in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Be you not ignorant of this mystery unless you're wise in your own conceits. No, I'm sorry, that's Romans 8. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who made himself of no reputation but humbled himself into the form of man. That phrase, made himself of no reputation, is, means he emptied himself out. It's taken from graphically as if you were to take a knife and cut yourself open and let your bowels pour out. He poured himself out to become a man. Of what? Of the glory of God. Of his own glory. Glory is the essence of God. It's the lifeline of God. Glory is unto the spirit as to what blood is to the flesh. It was, it's the God stuff. He poured out the glory. That divine glory, that ultimate glory to become the form of flesh. And at that moment, at that moment in hell when the price had been paid, however it was all compressed in those few short days of our time but in the eternal eyesight of God, I can almost hear the words of Christ. Father, hear my prayers. Now give me back the glory that I had with you always. John 17, 5. He said it on earth, but I'm assured he said it in hell. Father, give me back the glory that I had with you always. That glory comes back into him in hell. The power of the living God and the same spirit that raised him from the dead resides in you. Jesus Christ, Romans tells us, was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. The glory comes into that soul, comes into that spirit. Spoken in edict by the Father of glory, ministered by the Spirit of glory, commanded by the Word Himself. And in that power, He resurrects. And it says He made a spectacle of the devil and all of His, all of them. The hierarchy. And it's not that only. What it infers is that they were paraded like conquered prisoners throughout the host of heaven. Like dogs pulled with chains. The head stomped by the son of the living God. Beloved, when that happened, what Christ did to take the authority and the power off of the devil in very simple terms had to do with truth. You see, the devil is a liar. The devil is trying to legislate truth. The devil was always trying to prosecute the people, the men and women of God, and men and women, period, is guilty because of their sins. But when Jesus Christ washed those sins under the blood, when Jesus Christ took that guilty, condemning edict out of the mouth of the devil, he said, you can no longer prosecute. You can no longer convict. You can no longer accuse because I have washed away the guilt. My blood has washed away those stains. And by my word, my children are set free because whom I set free are free indeed, says the Lord God Almighty. The edict was erased and you have been found not guilty. Now our challenge 
Do we stand on truth? How convicted are we to stand on truth? Beloved, I don't think like any time before, in fact, I know like no time before, has untruth been manufactured and processed like it is now on the earth. We've never had the social media, the news media. We've never had the influence of Hollywood like we have now. We've never had teachers. I mean, my God, if we look back in the history of this country, how about the little one-room one schoolhouses? Those teachers were responsible for bringing those children up with their families in the ways of God. They studied the Bible. They learned to read on the Bible. They learned the Judeo-Christian ethics and moralities. There was no such thing as a teacher's union that determined what they should or shouldn't do. And how about the power and influences of grandmas, praying grandmas on their knees, praying for their children, setting an example for children to show them a godly mother, a godly way, a godly wife, a godly person. And how about fathers? Fathers that were the anchors of their homes. Fathers that provided and the children could rely upon them. Fathers that set examples of faith. Fathers that showed that you can be strong and yet you can be gentle and compassionate. Have you ever talked about abortion? with a woman who couldn't have children who all of a sudden had a miracle and God gave them a baby. Have you? I have. For some reason, God's given that peculiar gift to pray for people that can't have children and they have children, many times twins. Not just one, not just ten, hundreds, maybe thousands. And oftentimes, I will ask them, how precious is that gift of life? Oh, pastor, it's the greatest gift God could have ever given me. Can you imagine, I would ask them, somebody who aborts that gift, they break down. No, I cannot. But the mob says, kill him crucify him. We have rights. Our rights are greater than God's truths. And after all, God understands. Beloved, truth is not relevant. What's relevant today's truth is irrelevant tomorrow. Truth cannot be measured by a majority vote. Truth cannot be measured quantitatively. The truth, the only truth, is Jesus Christ and the word of the living God. So yes, I join what others are now beginning to say, a few, even some politicians, <laughs> It sounded like Ted Cruz was preaching a couple days ago. Actually, he was. He was quoting his father's pastor's words. Basically, he said the church is asleep. And he said an abortion is a problem that rests on the pastors. That's a half-truth, and I'm not accusing him. Yes, pastors need to preach the truth. But each and every one of us is responsible for ourselves. If we know God, we're not going to be able to stand before him and say, well, I, you know, I had television on and they said it was okay, God, so I just went along with it. The mob, the truth of the mob, it's not going to work. 
the only thing that's going to stand be pure before God is real truth. So what do we do? What do we do? What do we do in perilous times when gross darkness is indeed covering the earth? What do we do? We need to stand like never before. Beloved, what we've seen the last two years or so is nothing like what's coming. That is just the birth pains of what's coming upon this earth. And we can become drunk and delusioned with anything that you feel is going to make you think somehow you're going to escape it, right? You want to go fly away and believe the rapture is going to come and you're not going to see anything, well, then you just keep waving those arms. Let me know if you do. You want to believe that there's going to be a great revival that's going to change the whole earth and we're going to somehow avoid the gross darkness, you go on ahead with that one too. It's not going to change what's coming on the earth or the word of God about perilous times in these last days. Lovers of selves. Turning the creature into a demented, perverted thing. Family's not important. We could go on and on. Technology replacing fellowship. Picket. Could list a hundred of them. Really comes down to us knowing the truth of God and making commitments to stand on the truth of God no matter what. No matter what. There are various truths of God that he has put as our responsibility in how we live today and what we do. I want to close with this. History. Whenever a society reinvents or erases history, those are the birth pains of the destruction of that society. I don't have the time to take you through all of history, but I can assure you that you will watch and you will see that what is always done is to erase the history. And usually, especially in this era of socialism, that is on the coattails of socialism. Socialism always denies the power of God always elevates the power of man. I don't care what socialist country you want to go to. I, I love people in France, but I wouldn't want to live there. Wouldn't want to live there. Some of them don't want to live there anymore either. And that's a light socialist. Whenever we begin to see culture completely eradicated, we begin to see the enemy repeating what he's done over and over and over and over. Has it ever resonated more true to us that we are in this world, but we're not of it? Has it never resonated more true to us that we are citizens of heaven? That's what we must focus our eyes and hearts on. Yes, we stand, we fight in the places we are, for the things of God. I'm not telling us not to. I'm a patriot. But I'm not a patriot at the sake of my faith in God. And I'll tell you something again, hasn't made me too popular in some circles, and I'll say it again, that pride goes before a fall. What made the devil fall was his pride. And any man, any woman, I don't care if they invoke God's name, that is invoking themselves in pride before God is subject to fall. That is the consequence of this last election. Pride. 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 
And we as Christians should not be antagonistic against each other because we believe that God should shut his eyes to a half-truth. What kind of a God do we serve? One who tolerates half-truths? Or for when people call upon his name, holds us to a standard higher than the world? It's one thing to walk in half-truths and not proclaim the name of the Lord. It's another thing to proclaim the name of the Lord and walk in half-truths. To whom much is given, much is required. So what does God say? Oh yes, that's okay, I'll just compromise myself because those are your words. No. God's word is true, that's a truth. If we hold on to that truth that when we see pride rising up, we should squirm. We should say it doesn't feel right, it's not right, it's not good. It doesn't matter what other truths are attached to it, this is wrong. And what is God going to do with it? America has been a force for good in the world and more recently America has been a force for half-truths in the world. And here we go again exporting half-truths to the world. Convincing people to fund abortion. All of the things that become under that mantle it sounds good of progressive is digressive. We need police officers. We need safety forces. We need them. Can you ever imagine? Can you ever imagine hearing what we've heard in the last year or two to eradicate police, to defund police? And the same people who tell us to do that, they have personal security guards. watching them day and night. What are they afraid of? Half-truths. But if we, if we take that money and we put it into social programs, crime will go away. People will quit killing each other and they won't come into your home to steal what you have. No, they don't need to. They go to Nordstrom's in broad daylight. 30, 40 of them just walk out with whatever they want. But by the way, if you get arrested, don't keep them in jail. That's not a bad crime. Let them go. The same day, no bond. Come on! I have to preach it from the pulpit. That's ludicrous. That's ignorance. That's chaos. That's half-truths that are so baked that now people accept it as something, well, we need to tolerate that. And God forbid you speak against it, you're intolerant. You're some kind of phobic or every kind of misogynistic. Huh? I think I've been called every name there is. And the good news, I don't know what half of them mean. And I don't care. How about this? Marriage isn't a holy covenant before God anymore. It's something that two people that love each other should do no matter what. And by the way, if you're a pastor in a church, you should just marry anybody who comes to you, no matter who or what they are. Pretty soon, I mean, do you think... I'm being outstretched. I don't think so. I think, unfortunately, we're going to see it. Polygamy is going to be okay pretty soon. Huh? You haven't thought about that, have you? It's going to be okay to have a couple wives, a couple husbands. If you're a woman, have a female wife and a male husband and a few things in between. And there's 64 genders, so go marry a helicopter. Huh? It's funny, but it's not funny. I was watching our son do the 50 mile an hour, mile long thing he was doing and I saw this person 
come around the corner at the 32 mile. We were waiting to give him something and it was moving along and it was in a bikini, but it shouldn't have been. And I'm looking and I look at my wife. I said, I, that dude's got legs bigger than mine. I said, that's, that's like an ex-football player or something. Or what is that? Sure enough, I don't have to tell you anymore. And people are... All the other people walking through, quiet. Whatever that was comes through. Like that's a big statement of what? What's that a statement of? That you're really showing us by wearing a bikini, a man wearing a bikini in a race? Huh? I thought to myself, 20 years ago, I would have said, oh boy, am I in a dream? What's going on? People reinforcing day in, day out. Marriage is a holy covenant before God. Marriage is a holy covenant before God. We must hold on to marriage. We must not allow it to be diluted. Pastors must draw a line. And let's face it, many should not be pastors. Sorry. And I know I'm, you know, going to be called intolerant. I don't care. Every kind brings forth its own kind. Marriage is a holy covenant. An unborn child is a child. That's a human living being. Breathed life by the nefesh of God. Written in the book of life from the beginning of time. Known in the womb before in the womb. An unborn child is a child. Children do best when they're raised by a mother and a father. That's the best. God will fill in the holes and he'll raise people up. Israel is our friend. Hello. Israel is our friend. Israel is our friend. The Wuhan virus came from Wuhan. It was manufactured, it was released, and it's from the pit of hell. And no matter what politics will say or won't say, we must stand on truth. And by the way, God made male and female, both he made boys and girls. There's no in-between. Truths, simple truths of God. And there's many more. Truths that allow us to have abundance and authority and life like no other way. Truths that allow us to be able to stand in the power of God no matter what comes against us. Truths that let us know that he who's within us is greater than he who is in the world. Truths that speak all of the promises of God to us is yea and amen. All throughout this written word of God. Those are the truths we stand on. We don't need to be those who are confused. We don't need to be those who don't understand. We need to be those who stand. And first and foremost, we must stand for ourselves and then within our households. We too could mock God by what we don't do or do. It may be a quiet mocking, but it's a mockery. So we must stand in that holiness of God and in the confidence knowing that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Not a principality, not a power, not a plague, not a politician, not a mob. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. That's our joy. That's our hope. That's our confidence. So, with that, can we just say this? 
Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, rest inside of us day and night. Move inside of us. Transform our minds, our spirits, our hearts, our souls. Let your conscience be our conscience. Yes, be gentle with us, but be firm with us. Let us know right from wrong and light from dark. And Father, raise up voices that are going to speak truth in truth alone. Raise up voices, Father, and let it, Father, become addictive. As so many things in faith have become addictive, let it become addictive to seek truth, to stand on truth, and not to sugarcoat it, Lord, but to walk with it with pure and simple. Let it be a pill, Father, that strengthens us and challenges us and makes us to want more. And Father, we pray, we pray, Lord, that you give us that power, that spirit, that knowledge to overcome, that we are those overcomers by the blood of the Lamb, and that we also come unto you, Father, by the power of the living God and by the word of our testimony of truth. Father, we do ask you to forgive us. Forgive us this country. Forgive us wherever we are throughout the world for our shortcomings. And we thank you for your grace, Lord. And we also thank you, Lord, that you do not allow this to last so long, Father, that even the saints can't make it through, even as your word says. We thank you for it, Lord. We bless you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.